0: Well, you know, I was—we were going into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and I was thinking, you know, we got—we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. If the Michigan State game, a lot of positive takeaways uh, from watching the Buckeye win a game by 40 points, and you know, I think really the first game all year that I felt like we came out of a game, and Ohio State fans were actually happy with the way the teams perform, and there were positive vibes. And then, unfortunately, on Tuesday. We got the bad news that Ohio State will not be playing Michigan this year. So while we are going to get to our takeaways from a Michigan State game on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, I think we have to start there because certainly the fact that Ohio State will not play Michigan, it's the first time in over 100 years that Ohio State will not play Michigan in the game, even in 2020, Colin. That's pretty hard to believe, isn't it?
1: You know, it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, even early on, you knew that it would be a risk um, for Ohio State-Michigan game not to happen, just given the fact that there was no bye weeks. There were there were no other opportunities to play this game if it didn't happen the day of. And, you know, I was even of the mind that, you know, I, I understood the the, the the reasoning by some people to have it earlier in the season. Um, and, and, you know, maybe if something happens, you can reschedule it. But given the fact that there were no bye weeks, I, you know, I was someone who thought, you know, maybe at the end of the season, it makes sense. Maybe the pandemic isn't as bad in December as it is. I, I you know, that was obviously uh, completely wrong, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it sucks for so many reasons, Dan, I don't know about you, but like when it, it, it it's weird because, you know, every single year you you cover an Ohio State team and the number one thing is what are they going to do? Are they going to be able to make the playoff? All of that. But there is just the underlying thing is I sort of can't wait till the end of November when Ohio State and Michigan play because we get the chance every single year to go to that game. And I'll be honest, like there's nothing like going to that game. I mean, I've covered the Rose Bowl. I've covered, you know, the Fiesta Bowl, the, the college football Playoff semifinals. Even, you know, you you obviously – the, the stages on those are incredible but the energy you get at those ohio state michigan games is just you can't really replicate it and to not have it happen even though like ohio state legitimately might have hung 100 points like that's you know we joke but you know they could have scored 60 70, 80 points it, it really felt like it could trend that direction um just to not have that is just something's going to be missing from the season even if things go the way that they um the way that ohio state hopes hopes they do
0: yeah, I mean this is just such a special week to everyone. You know, whether you're a player, whether you're a fan, anyone who cares about Ohio State football, you know this this week it just means more. And you know, I you know I think the one thing I've always enjoyed about this week is it it really does. You know, I feel like just about every other game in the regular season, it really is. You know, the conversation's always dominated by playoff. And when we get to the playoff, and I think you know, a lot of times Ohio state fans have a harder time appreciating most of a regular season games because they're so focused on the end result, but Michigan week, it always, it really does feel like it's just about beating Michigan. It's, it's, you know, it's just such a big game. It's such a huge part of a tradition of a program that, you know, it, it has that, it has that feel to it, uh, that this is a game that's just bigger than any other. And I, and I think there's no doubt, you know, this season, you know, The good news for Ohio State, and we got this good news on Wednesday, and obviously this episode is coming to you all a little bit later this week because we wanted to wait until all the news came out on Wednesday to actually record on Wednesday. But, you know, we got the news Wednesday afternoon that Ohio State will play in the Big Ten championship game. Even though it only played five games, the Big Ten decided to waive the requirement to play six games. Ohio State, therefore, clinching that berth for the Big Ten East as the big 10 East only undefeated team. And we'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but, you know, even with that, you know, even with, you know, the college football playoff potential still out there And, and that's still, I mean, that's such an enormous carrot that Ohio state fans still have that to look forward to, but there's no doubt. Something has been taken away from this season. I mean, there's been a lot of things taken away from this season, but this one goes right to the top of the list of not having that opportunity to play the rivalry game of not having the chance to extend that streak to nine games. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned it, like, you know, I went into this game, you know, I, I know people say never take a win over Michigan for granted and throw the records out the window and all that. But I'll be honest, if this game was being played on Saturday, and this isn't even factoring in the fact that Michigan had half its roster out because of COVID just if the rosters have been at full strength, I was going to be as confident as I've ever been going into an Ohio state Michigan game that the Buckeyes were going to win big. I mean, they were a 30 point favorite for a reason. So quite honestly, I was just intrigued to see if Ohio state could live up to the hype in this game. And you know, I don't know if they were going to hang a hundred on them, but if if they could just really take it to Michigan and blow them out. And I think they were really motivated to do that. And it's unfortunate, whether that was going to happen or not, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see whatever was going to happen play out.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, you rode the roller coaster, right? Like there were, there, there were a couple of days there early on when you know, Ohio State couldn't play that you wondered whether Ohio State would be the reason why they didn't play that game you I mean you never know what what an outbreak within a program would do and then it obviously happened at Michigan um, and they canceled their game and then on Monday I think it was it seemed like there was some optimism and then obviously all that shifted but um, to not have this game you know it's it, it, it's weird because I feel like this year we just we haven't talked a lot about the Ohio State Michigan game because like ultimately you know one that's not Ohio State's goal i mean ohio state's goal is to win a national championship that is the number one goal the number two goal is beating michigan the number three goal is winning the big 10 championship i don't know how ohio state looks at it but i can just say from the outside that feels like what everybody's number one number two and number three goals are and as long as that number one goal is still there you know things are still okay in columbus um but it's really unfortunate to to not have that one this week um and honestly like you know, I felt pretty confident in Ohio State, but you still just get a different vibe going into that stadium in that game. And to see what, what it would have been like with rumors of a Harbaugh extension at the same time as Ohio State was going to try and lay 100 points on them. I mean, it had it had some absolutely
0: incredible potential, but we will move on. Well, that's one thing you can take solace in if you're an Ohio state fan is it sounds like Ohio state's going to get at least one more shot to beat Harbaugh. So uh, I, I know that Ohio state is looking forward to that. Uh, You know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise for uh, Harbaugh that, you know, he doesn't have the potential to go. Oh, and six against Michigan this week. I'm not going to go on another rant about, you know, my thoughts on ducking the game or not. You guys already know my thoughts on that. If you listen to the podcast, those thoughts have not changed, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just disappointing. It's, it's just unfortunate. It's 2020. You know, we, we've gotten used to this. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like, I am definitely disappointed we don't get this game. I also do feel conditioned to it at this point because, you know, we knew this was a possibility. You know, we, we've already been through, you know, two other cancellations this year. So it's just one of those things that we've learned uh, to brace ourselves for at this point. But uh, it sucks. You know, it sucks. And, you know, I, I, I really feel you know, for, I feel for all the players, but I really feel for the seniors. I really feel for the other guys, you know, a guy like Justin Fields, who is not going to be back next year. He's going to be playing in the NFL. I feel really bad for those guys that, you know, for one, they're going to lose their last opportunity to get a pair of gold pants. And two, they just lost their last home game. I mean, they had no idea that the game they were playing against Indiana with not even their families in the stands was their last game in the shoot. So I, I feel really bad for those guys if they've been put in that position. Now, like you said, I completely agree with you on, you know, what the top three goals are. And bluntly, I think the gap between number one and number two has never been bigger than it is right now. I I think the Michigan game is, is a huge goal. And there are people who will say that beating Michigan is more important than anything else. But I think for the majority of Ohio state fans, I'm guessing that, especially among people who listen to a podcast like ours. I think the college football playoff has definitely become that number one goal. And so the fact that that's still out there, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really get the impression that most Ohio state fans really care that much about the big 10 championship game, but you know, I I thought it was interesting. We did a couple polls on our website and, and more than half the people on our website that responded to the poll did say they wanted to see a big 10 championship game over Northwestern over a Michigan game next week. There were some people who thought the Michigan game could be played. Uh, you know, maybe it could be played next week, but you know, I think the reality is I don't, you know, to me, I, I think playing in a big 10 championship game does matter. I mean, Ohio state's won three of these in a row. I mean, Ohio state would definitely wants to win four big 10 championships in a row. They want to get, more big 10 championship rings you know they don't want indiana or or northwestern to be the big Ten champion they want to be the big 10 champion so I, i think this does matter for ohio state to be in this game but i think really the reason it matters most is because conference championships are one factor that the college football playoff uses as a criteria and if ohio state didn't get that I don't necessarily think that that's going to swing whether or not Ohio State gets in, but I don't think it hurts. I mean, I think it definitely helps uh, that Ohio State has the chance to go win a Big Ten championship next week, especially when you consider that their best possible record now is six and up. Yeah, it's a, it's just a conduit to the playoff,
1: um, but I. I want to go back to what you said. What was that poll with Northwestern and Michigan? Because I remember seeing that a few days ago. I'm forgetting it, but I'm not going to lie. Like the, like you saying it again, like my jaw just dropped again.
0: Well, it's actually, there's actually, there's I think there were two different versions. There's actually one that was posted today. And as I look at it right now, it's exactly 50-50. It was, if given the choice, would you rather play Northwestern in the Big Ten title game or Michigan in the game on December 19th? So it's actually exactly that. I
1: I don't know, Dan. Like that to me, it's just so crazy. I can't believe we're living in a world where people are fifty fifty on whether they play Northwestern, and not just people. Ohio State fans who grew up in this rivalry would rather fifty percent of them would rather watch Ohio State play Northwestern for the Big Ten title, and and I get. I, I think a lot of that. You, I don't know. Do you agree? A lot of that is just based on the fact that people think that a win against Northwestern, in the big 10 title would matter a much greater deal than a win
0: against Michigan in the eyes of the playoff committee. Absolutely. I, I think, I think if we rephrased that question as what means more to you beating Northwestern into big 10 championship game or beating Michigan, it would absolutely be Michigan. I, mean, I think a, a win over Michigan absolutely means more to people than winning a big 10 championship. But I think it's absolutely because of the fact that, you know, people people look at it that, you know, that not having that Big Ten championship game uh, could hurt them more in terms of the playoff. And, and, I, and I think that's valid because, you know, I, I think, you know, there was talk about, well, if Ohio State doesn't get to play and it plays Iowa in a second place game, you know, that would probably be about the same because Iowa was only ranked two spots lower than Northwestern in this week's college ball playoff ranking. So, you know, there's a chance especially, you know, especially just looking at Iowa as a team, like an Iowa win actually might be more impressive than beating Northwestern, but Michigan's been a bad team all year. Uh, So, you know, I I think certainly playing another ranked opponent playing in a big 10 championship game is a good thing for Ohio state in terms of a college football playoff. But, you know, if, if I'm going to guess here, you know, unless it goes badly for some reason, and then we'll remember it for infamous reasons. You know, I think back to two years ago, I don't, you know, I, I remember Dwayne Haskins making a couple phenomenal plays, but beating Northwestern in the big 10 championship game. Otherwise is not exactly a a memorable thing that I think about a lot. So I don't think like a lot of, you know, we think about the 2018 Michigan game gets talked about all the time. I mean, most wins over Michigan get talked about a lot. Most Big Ten championship game wins, other than the 59 nothing game against Wisconsin, most of them tend to be forgotten pretty quickly. And I think that'll probably be the case again this year. But the thing is, all that really matters to most people is just if they look good enough next Saturday against Northwestern to ensure that the college football playoff selection committee will put them in the top four the next day.
1: What do you think a poll like like that one says most about? Is it Michigan? Is it the state of the rivalry? Or is it the importance of the CFP? Because I think that, you know, I think that that's, you, you, you can learn a lot about, <laughs> about, about a fan base with polls like this, because I think it's interesting. I mean, one, like if Michigan was good, I think Michigan would overwhelmingly win that poll. At the same time, you know, I'm, I think a few years ago, I mean, a decade ago, two decades ago, Michigan would still be crushing that poll right now. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting lens. And, and, and honestly, it's an interesting lens into this game too, because I do think that there's a lot of importance that, that that people see in this game. And I think it's reasonable because, you know, Northwestern's Northwestern's an interesting team because no, I, w- I shouldn't say nobody, but barely anybody picked them to be here before the season. Um, and it's one of those teams where oftentimes I can't hundred percent tell what the committee thinks about a win over them. Like what is the point of selection? Comm- I, I know that I know where they are ranked right now, but I don't a hundred percent know how they would view this. Uh, how they would view this win compared to some other ones. I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting game and it's going to be interesting to see how the committee views this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think to your first point first, you know, I I read something Doug Glamouris wrote in the past week. He He wrote about, you know, that kind of same thing. I think that he had talked to their, you know, text subscribers over at cleveland.com about uh, the importance of, you know, the Big Ten championship game versus Michigan and had gotten back similar results. And, you know, I think he, you know, kind of made the point that, you know, the rivalry uh, maybe isn't, you know, quite what it used to be, uh, quite as important to Ohio State fans as it used to be. And, you know, that's okay because it, it, it's a different landscape. You know, I think the college football playoff really has kind of changed some of that. And I think, the fact that Michigan just hasn't been very good has changed some of that because, you know, I mean, it's been a few years. I mean, you know, you had the phenomenal game back in 2016, the double overtime game with uh, Curtis Samuel scoring a final touchdown. But, you know, since then, you know, you know, in the last two games particularly have been absolute blowouts. So I think that has taken something away from from the rivalry. I mean, I know I have a friend who's a Michigan fan and he was telling me he wasn't even going to watch it. <laughs> if they played. He probably still would have watched. It. He's probably lying, but uh, you know, that, that's kind of where this thing is at right now is um, it, it's a very one-sided rivalry. And I think that does take away as much as I think Ohio state fans relish fat and enjoy blowing out Michigan. I think it still takes a little bit of something away just from the rivalry when, you know, you're not scared of a loss when you're going into the game, just expecting a blowout. Uh, I, I think that does take a little bit of something away. Uh, but in regards to your point on Northwestern, um, you know, I, I, I think what I would say to that is grinding out a seven point win in this game is not going to impress the committee. If you, if you're going to impress the committee against Northwestern, you know, you know, I'm not saying you got to go 59, nothing like you did against Wisconsin in 2014, but you got to go out and assert your dominance in this game. And you should, because, you know, we, we talked, you know, so much about, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, Ohio state having all these players unavailable. I mean, but anyone who tested positive before Illinois should be back for this game. You know, those, those guys are only going to end up missing one game as a result of, of these games being canceled. So you know, presumably, again, this is all assuming that nothing goes wrong here in the next 10 days as I knock on my wooden table there, but uh, um, Ohio State should presumably be able to be at full strength for this game. You're now going to get extra time to prepare for a game again, and, and this is your last game before uh, the, the playoff selection. You know, I, I think you really got to go into this game of a mindset of we, we are going to have our foot on the gas pedal for four quarters and, and we are going to try to absolutely dominate this game and prove that we are one of the four best teams in the country because I don't necessarily know if they need to do that. I, I still think the scenarios are mostly in Ohio State's favor, but you don't want to leave any doubt. You know, I think the fact that you you're only going to have played six games here uh, you know, if you, you know, you, you only get one more shot. Now you only get one more shot to impress the committee. You know, if if you kind of limp through it and you don't look great, I think you're definitely going to have people in that room who don't think Ohio state belongs in. So I think if you're going to impress the committee against Northwestern, you really got to play damn good football. So I didn't fully gather just how bad northwestern
1: is offensively until i looked up their stats before this and you know dan mentioned this to me and then i looked him up and i was like wow i didn't exactly think they were the 2020 ohio state buckeyes but if you look at them to me this is a somewhat of a similar team to michigan state in terms of um their offense is just not scary And I feel like I've said it for a while, but I just feel like the teams that are going to give Ohio State the most trouble are going to be the teams with the prolific offenses. Because I just don't see a team like Northwestern, which, yes, its defense has been pretty solid. I don't see a team like Northwestern slowing down Ohio State, which means that Northwestern is somehow going to have to get something going offensively. And if you just look at what they've done, I mean, Peyton Ramsey has eight touchdowns and six interceptions. And as a team, they're averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Like, this is a team that Ohio State should dominate. I mean, we talk about, like, you know, what the college football playoff committee thinks about it. This is, like, what Colin Hassell thinks about it. Like, like this, I, I cover Ohio State. I don't see any reason why Ohio State shouldn't destroy Northwestern. I don't know what the line's going to be, but I'm going to feel really confident about, about the Buckeyes going into this one.
0: Well, I think it's like if you look at their scores, too, from their games, they they did dominate Maryland in their first game. They won 43-3. 40, 40 but then their next four games after that, 21-20 against Iowa, 21-13 against Nebraska, 27-20 against Purdue, 17-7 against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, this is a team that – They haven't scored more than 27 points since October 24th. <laughs> correct. I mean, this is a team that, you know, grinds out – you know, this is a team – this is a good, good football team that can grind out wins against other good football teams – it has no business beating a great football team. So Ohio State's got to prove it's a great football team and give Northwestern no chance on this game. It, it really does. I mean, that, that's, that's what you got to expect from Northwestern, in this, from Ohio State in this game, is it you're just going to go out and dominate. Because, I mean, even those teams I listed off, you know, North, Northwestern has been good on defense. It had its worst defensive game against Michigan State which it lost. It gave up 29 points before that. It hadn't given up 20 points in a game, but and, and
1: Mich- by the way, Michigan state offensively sucks. We just saw yeah, it. <laughs> we just saw it.
0: Yeah. And, and and none of those other teams are great on offense. I mean, Maryland has got gotten better on offense, but that was their first game of the year with a brand new quarterback. So, you know, if that, had, if that game was played a month later, my guess is it would have been a much closer game. So you know, you know, this isn't a Northwestern team. That's a world beater uh, by any means. And, you know, I mean, I think the best thing I could say about their offense is, well, they're better than last year because last year they were absolutely atrocious. I mean, they were arguably the worst offense in the country Uh, this year. They're, you know, not just one of, just one of the worst offenses. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're not disastrous, but they're still not good. So yeah, I mean Northwestern should not be able to keep pace with Ohio State in this game and and that's the kind of expectation you got to have. You know, you know, there's been times earlier this year where I have I have said just go just go win and if you win be happy. And I I don't think this is that kind of game. Now, granted, the the fact about this is if you're an Ohio State fan, you're you're going to know 24 hours later whether you should be happy or not about this game because either Ohio State's going to be in the college football playoff or they're not. But, um, you know, to me, yeah, I think this is a game you got to go in, not only with an expectation to win, but you got to go in with an expectation that you are going to play the absolute best football that you've played all year and you're going to dominate. Yeah.
1: I mean, to me, that's the expectation. I will say like, you know, you mentioned how in the past you've said just win, and you're okay. Um, you know, part of me thinks that I'm still at that position. Um, and, and you know I'll be interested to see if maybe the next college football playoff rankings that come out before this game change my mind but you know there is the scenario that you know everybody keeps talking about which is if Florida beats Alabama and Clemson beats Notre Dame could Ohio State be left out behind a bunch of one-loss teams and I think I think that's where the style points against Northwestern could matter like I, I, I you know as as long as that doesn't happen I actually feel pretty confident in Ohio State getting in and you know sp- Sometimes I say that and I feel dumb because what I'm really saying is I'm predicting what a bunch of, you know, what is it? 13, 12, 13 people in a room. I don't remember the exact number. Off 13. The top of my head, 13, 13 people in a room will do in, in a pandemic year where everybody doesn't, I mean, everybody's playing different schedules. Everybody's playing different amounts of games. Like to feel like you're actually confident, I feel like it's just wrong. But I do, for some reason, just based on the fact of, of what, where, where we've seen Ohio State ranked and how they've talked about them, I actually do feel com- confident in Ohio State, except in that scenario. And that's the scenario where it is actually, to me, going to be important, if that were to happen, for Ohio State to look really, really good against Northwestern and challenge the committee. You know, they, if, if you're the Buckeyes, you can say, like, we played our best the last two games. Three games ago, we beat Indiana if if you want to leave this out, you're leaving out a really good team. Like that's what, that's what Ohio state to me in that scenario would need to say. If that scenario doesn't happen, to be honest, I think I, I do lean more so to the, a win is a win.
0: Yeah. I I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I, I I almost meant it more in just like the sense of like, I feel like, I feel like it's fair to set the expectations higher for this game because i think you know we've gotten to a point where there's you know we're just not there's just not many games left i mean it's the postseason now it doesn't feel like the postseason because ohio state's played five games and you know i mean honestly i actually think that's the bigger impact of this i I, and i know there's some people who look at it from the aspect of ohio state's going to be fresher for the playoff I view it as the opposite. I think the biggest negative of all this is the fact that, you know, Ohio State's going to have played less than half of the games of the other teams that are in the college ball playoff if it makes it. And they just haven't really had a chance to work through some issues on their team. I mean, like I said, I mean, you play Michigan State and Northwestern in your last two games of the season. We are not going to know if Ohio State's defense is actually better if we assume that they make the college football playoff, I'm not assuming that, but just hypothetically here, we aren't going to know if Ohio State's defense actually got better since the Indiana game until it goes and plays a college football playoff game. That's kind of scary. And, you know, I I think just not having the opportunity to work through some of these things, not having the opportunity to get guys as many reps as these other teams, I think that could hurt Ohio State in the college football playoff. Absolutely. And so I, I think that, you know, makes you really want to against Northwestern see an Ohio state football team that's firing on full cylinder. And I think, and I think we, we, we saw the closest about we've seen all year against Michigan state. And I think that was really impressive because of the players that were out and we can get more into that in a couple minutes, but you know, to your point, I'm a college football playoff. I do agree with you. I think, you know, I called it the quote-unquote doomsday scenario. I saw several other people also use that, so I don't want to hit hit the quote on that too hard. But, you know, I, I do. I think that is the one scenario that potentially really hurts Ohio State. If Florida beats Alabama, Clemson beats Notre Dame, because I think then all four of those teams are going to be really close together. It's going to be a difficult choice for the committee to decide who among those teams should be left out. And I think it would give them the out if they don't want to put a six six game team in there to say these four 10 and one teams are the best four teams in the country and 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 that's who should play i agree with you i think if that doesn't happen there's not really any other scenario that scares me you know especially now that we know ohio state's in the big 10 championship game because texas a&m is not playing this week and it's not going to play in a conference championship game it's only remaining game is an unranked Game against Tennessee. So I think as long as Ohio State beats Northwestern, it's not getting jumped by Texas and M. And then you look at who's number seven behind Florida, it's two loss Iowa State. Unless Ohio State loses, it is not getting jumped by Iowa State. It's not getting jumped by Cincinnati because if it was, Cincinnati would be above eight right now. And Cincinnati's not playing this week either. So I think you're right. I mean, I think unless that one scenario happens where Florida beats Alabama and Clemson beats Notre Dame. I think Ohio State's good. I think if Ohio State wins, I think it's good. I think it's in at 6 and out.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's an interesting scenario too because I mean, I asked you that thing earlier about how the committee would view a win against Northwestern because it's interesting from our perspective. We'll walk into that expecting Ohio State to dominate even though it's a Big 10 championship, even though they'll be facing a top 15 team because we know what Ohio State should do, and we know that the matchups are on Ohio State's side. So I'm interested to see what the committee would actually think about that. You know, the the doomsday scenario, as I think you probably correctly termed, that would just be a fascinating scenario for to to, to see what the what what the committee would do, because I would feel very confident that both SEC teams would get in for obvious reasons, and then you'd wonder about know Clemson Notre Dame and Ohio State for that third spot and I you know if you just look at what Ohio State's resume is like we can all be honest here like it's not exactly great I mean they they destroyed a bad Nebraska team they beat a bad Penn State team by two touchdowns you know they they destroyed a bad Rutgers team for the first half and then you know let them creep back and it was still a three touchdown win they beat Indiana by a touchdown even though I do think they're probably getting a you know more credit for that win simply because of what what it looked like for the you know the first half and then they destroyed a you know a bad Michigan State team like that's the entire resume like that's not exactly a great resume but even if you look like what has Notre Dame done like Notre Dame has a, has one of the biggest wins arguably the biggest win in the country by beating Clemson and then if you just look at the rest of the schedule If you look at what they've done, I mean, they beat one other ranked team. Like it's not, it's, it's not the greatest resume in the world. And and at the end of the day, you know, people losses have to matter to some respect. And if they did lose to Clemson and they had that one loss on their resume, if Ohio state looked really good in its final two games of the season, had a big 10 championship, had that win against Indiana. Even in that doomsday scenario, I personally would probably feel pretty good about the Buckeyes. And again, I just don't like maybe, maybe this is false confidence, but, but it's the way that they've talked about them. It's the way that even when people in Columbus weren't exactly thrilled about how Ohio
0: State was playing, Ohio State has always been in the top four. And I think that that's telling. Well, I think there's a few things that work in Ohio State's favor. First and foremost, its reputation, because even though the CFP waits until near the end of the season to release rankings. The reality is if you go into the season as a team, that's expected to be a contender, you are going to get that benefit in the rankings. And I think that's the number one thing that's helped Ohio state is this is a team that's always been expected to be a national championship contender. And unless it loses, that's not going to change. So I think, you know, that's the number one thing, you know, I think, you know, on top of that, I think there is especially this year more than ever because it is so difficult to compare resumes is I think there really is a genuine desire by this committee to just get the best four football teams in there because it, I mean, it's it's just, it's so difficult to really compare resumes against each other this year. And, you know, I think you also make the point that, you know, I think, so much is made about how few games Ohio State has played and how its resume isn't that impressive. But if you look around, there just aren't that many other teams that you'd look at and say, this team has got a better resume than Ohio State. Like, it, you know, it, it, just, it just isn't really out there. I mean, it, you know, I mean, you know, the committee has clearly shown that, it's it's not going to consider a group of five team here. So you you, you take them out. But Pac-12 isn't even in this conversation. Uh, and they started so late, and they didn't have that reputation come in that, that they've been nowhere near this. You know, the Big 12, by virtue of the fact that, you know, their best team is a two-loss team, like, they're a real long shot. So you you've got it. It's basically three SEC teams and two ACC teams vying with Ohio State for four spots here. And at least two of those teams still have to lose. And one of them's not going to play in a conference championship game. So those are a lot of factors that really work in Ohio State's favor. That, I mean, I think absolutely, if Ohio, just as long as Ohio State beats Northwestern, the odds are very good that Ohio state will be in the national champ not the national championship in the college football playoff 14 field. I, I think the odds are very good in that scenario. I think you don't want to leave any doubt. So if you can go in and you can really blow out Northwestern, I think that would benefit you, but I don't think, I think in most scenarios, that's probably not going to be necessary.
1: No, it's, you know, I, I, most most weeks I'm not actually that interested to hear what college football playoff folks have to say because they're extremely boring and they give bland answers and they dodge literally everything. Mm-hmm. But I'll at least be mildly interested in and in, in how they address questions about Ohio State a week from now.
0: I just don't think they're gonna say anything. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> what I mean, am I saying? I, those think, think,
1: those are, those are I the- mean The
0: only teams in the top six that are playing this week are Alabama and Florida, and they're not playing ranked teams. So I, my guess is they're both going to win the top six. Maybe Florida moves up to five, maybe, but other than that, I don't think anything's going to change in the rankings next week. And I think every question is going to get answered as we can't look ahead. So I don't know that I really see us learning anything next Tuesday.
1: It's that's very fair. Let me uh let me put it to you this way before we move on. As we sit here today, what percentage chance, if they beat Northwestern, would you give them to to get in?
0: 90%.
1: I mean, it feels high. I'm right about there. I mean, I was thinking like 85% in my head when I was asking the question and it's, you know, that's that's because everything but the doomsday scenario, I feel really confident in them getting in. Um, and, and even in that scenario, the way that I think that a win against Northwestern will look, to me it'll be an impressive win. And and I guess I could be totally wrong on that. And if it if I am wrong, maybe that says more about Ohio State um than than, you know, Ohio State fans won't
0: want to know. <laughs> uh, but I'm sort of right there too. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, I mean, we're talking about two results going the wrong way for Ohio State in games that could both go either way. Mm-hmm. And also factoring in that if that happens, that the committee would then say Ohio State hasn't done enough, which we don't know. That I mean, that we just don't know. I mean, we just yeah. don't know how the committee is going to do that. It could depend on how good Ohio State looks against Northwestern. You know, it could depend on, you know, if Clemson beats Notre Dame in overtime or if Clemson blows out Notre Dame. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that could go into it. Um, You know, typically the way these things work, most likely we're going to go into Sunday not knowing exactly how it plays out. And there's probably going to be some drama one way or another. But, you know, I, I would say if you're an Ohio State fan, like I think there's reason to feel feel good right now about the team's playoff chances as long as they go beat Northwestern. And so I don't, you know, I don't think, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are disappointed that Ohio state is not playing this week that they didn't schedule a replacement game. And I think that's, you know, totally understandable. I mean, like we wanted to see them play. Like you you just want to see them play. Like it sucks that like in five weeks, we get to watch two football games. Like that sucks. But I think in terms of college football playoff implications, at least in terms of making the field, I don't think not playing this week is going to make or break it.
1: Nope. I don't know either. Um, That said, I feel like we should talk a little bit about the big 10 championship and the decision to put Ohio state in it because I believe it was probably midnight last week as we were finishing the podcast, you dropped a take Dan and I disagreed with you, but not vehemently partially because I just wanted to end the podcast and I was tired. Um, and secondly, because I just, I don't know, I just didn't vehemently disagree with you at the time. And I think now we will both take positions that are
0: opposite your position one week ago. Yeah. I vehemently did disagree with myself. And so, yeah, I'm going to, I, I mean, I, I know that I, if if you're not an Ohio state fan listening to this and if you listened last week, there's probably not many out there, but if by chance you are. Someone who decided to listen to this podcast two weeks in a row, even though you're not an Ohio state fan, I know I probably sound like a biased Homer hypocrite, but I, I'm going to say right now, I, my take last week was wrong. I have changed my mind on my take from last week. My take from last week was that the big 10 should not change the rule. And now I think the Big Ten made the right decision, which again, absolutely 100% know that just makes me look biased, makes me look like I'm, I'm saying what helps Ohio State. But it was, it's one of those things where this is, you know, this is the truth. This is the honest truth. That was a take that actually, it came to me when I was asked about it during a radio interview. And I, I. I was asked the question and, and that was my stance, but I didn't think the Big Ten would change it, and I didn't think it should. And I kind of stuck with it. And then after we recorded the podcast, as the week progressed, as I started to see more and more people talk about the possibility, you know, I saw I saw what other writers said. I saw what other analysts said. And I realized that I'd agreed with them. I, I realized that I, I thought they were right about the fact that, you know, Ohio state shouldn't be punished, you know, just because it's having games canceled by other teams. And, you know, be, because it, it didn't meet this, you know, benchmark. And I, and I think there's a couple other things that, that kind of changed my opinion about that too. I mean, one, I think was the fact that I was coming at it last week, partially from a mindset of Ohio state might have to cancel this game against Michigan state not as much thinking about this week. And I think, you know, if, if it was Ohio state who wasn't able to play, I'm not saying that should make any difference here, but I think maybe it does a little bit in, in my mind. If, if, you know, they're going into this week, still needing to, you know, win a game or whatnot. You know, if, if they were going into this week and they were only four and O instead of five and O, you know, I think maybe that, you know would have changed my perception a little bit i think you know the fact that a lot of other people made a lot of people made this point before i did but it it's so true but i mean ohio state literally if they didn't change the rule ohio state would have been in the big 10 championship game the second the game kicked off on saturday they could have been blown out by michigan and they still would have clinched a berth in the big 10 championship game all they had to do was play that so that was ultimately the rationale of the big 10 used and, and I think that's correct rationale is it's stupid to punish Ohio State for not being able to play a game that its opponent canceled that even if Ohio State had lost that game it still would have been in I mean that makes no sense and then there's, and then just the simple fact and even Indiana's athletic director acknowledged this on Wednesday that Ohio State beat Indiana that the team you would be putting in was a team that lost to Ohio State. And I'll be honest, I think some of the, even some of the t- tweets from Indiana f- fans, including our good friend Taylor Lehman, kind of got me even more on the side of this because, you know, you've got Dan Dockich out there who's saying Indiana would beat Ohio State in the playoffs and Indiana's clearly the better team. And no, they're not. No, they're not. First of all, Ohio State won that game, period. Doesn't matter if it was, if Indiana outplayed Ohio state in the second half, Ohio state won the game period. And, you know, like there was a, there was a brief moment there where it looked like maybe we could see an Ohio state, Indiana rematch this week. And that would have been fun. I would have been fascinated by that game. You know, Michael Penix jr. Wouldn't have been able to play, but I would have been fascinated by that game because it was a competitive game the first time. But I also think that if Ohio state and Indiana played, 10 games. I think Ohio state wins nine of those games. You know, I, I don't think Indiana is a better team than Ohio state and that's no disrespect to Indiana. I think Indiana is a very good team. I think they're a great story, but I don't think they're a better team than Ohio state. I think they had their chance to prove they were a better team than Ohio state. And that didn't happen. So to put them in now, just because they played more games I, I think that you know. I, I don't think that would have been right to Ohio State. So, and
1: you said no disrespect to Indiana, but disrespect to Indiana is okay because they lost to Ohio State. Like you get, saying you're a great story is the ultimate insult <laughs> because saying you're a great story means that the story is more the story is more impressive than the accomplishment. I mean, I, it, it, you're right though. It is a great story. Because and I think the story they have, is
0: better than the accomplished. I think they have had an impressive season. I mean, I, I mean I'm I'm not trying to take that away from them all. I think they have had an impressive season. I mean, I think I think they're legitimately the second best team in the big ten. So do I. But I don't think they're better than Ohio State. You know, to, to, if to keep guessing up. here I I don't think Indiana is gonna would beat Alabama in the college ball playoff. I don't think they'd beat Clemson. I don't think they'd beat Notre Dame. I think I don't know if Ohio State can beat those teams, but I think it's got a shot
1: to keep Ohio state out of the big 10 championship would have been to keep Ohio state. It, it, the reasoning essentially would have been because a two and four program had a coronavirus outbreak. So now Ohio state can't get in and the team it beat does like, if we're getting down to it, the, the, the reason why is because the two and four team had a COVID outbreak. And that would be the reason why Ohio state didn't play in the big 10 championship. Like, If that's the number one reason, your argument's probably not great.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the point was also made by some this week that Ohio State was the only team in the Big Ten that had multiple games canceled by their opponent. You know, I mean, Ohio State did everything it could to get back after just missing just one game. And while, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to give too much credit to that because I think some of this is just luck. You know, I, I, I mean... I will give them credit that they did what they, they, they were able to curb their outbreak quickly and get back. Cause bluntly, I didn't think that was going to happen when the first game was canceled. So credit to them for being able to do that only missing one game. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it would be kind of silly to punish Ohio state because Maryland and Michigan were unable to play them. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, there's just the fact that, you know, I mean, Ohio state, you know it beat indiana head to head i mean it was, a, it, was, it was a it was a better team in that game it's it's the only team in the conference that has a chance to actually make the college football playoff and you know i mean you know and i mean i think you know my original point was you know the big 10 shouldn't go back on its rule and you know it's just one of it's one of those things that's just you 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 realize that the rule yeah, the rule was, was not getting the best football team and it wasn't it wasn't getting the most deserving team in because you know you know some people were making the point well you know ohio state didn't play those games it could have lost those games yeah but do we really think ohio state was going to lose two out of three against maryland illinois and michigan i mean i'm not saying it couldn't have happened but the odds were against that i mean ohio state could have lost any one of those games. And it still would have been in because of its head-to-head against Indiana. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, if, you know, if if we weren't talking about Ohio state having a better record with a head-to-head tiebreaker here, it would be a different story. But I think the fact that Ohio state has that makes Ohio state the legitimately most deserving team to represent the big 10 East in the big 10 title game.
1: I mean, the argument's been made that it's unfair to Indiana yet at the same time, The to me it would be unfair to keep the team out. The only team out that had multiple teams cancel games uh, against them. I mean that to me that's that's a little unfair too. So like I think it goes both ways. You're right. Like on one hand, it is a little unfair to change the rules in the middle of the season. The rules didn't make sense. Dan, I had a question. Which which fan base pretends its loss exists less? Texas
0: A and M or Indiana? (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I you know i don't know what i've paid as much attention to, to texas a&m nor have i but i've i have today
1: let me tell you they they that loss there there's a great graphic that that i think uh ari washerman was the first one that quote tweeted it and it was from a texas a&m fan who was explaining with eight different statistics why uh Tet and m is a better as a better playoff case than Ohio State and there were eight statistics and loss was not one of them and that was hilarious
0: yeah yeah that that was a selectively uh, chosen set of statistics I think
1: yeah so it was but I uh, you know I think I think the right decision was made um and you know I I would have been a proponent if there was an outbreak in Indiana I would love to see a rematch I mean that would have been fun especially because you know Ohio state might've been able to um, shut up our friend, Taylor Lehman, who uh, I will say, I love Taylor. Taylor knows I love Taylor, but his tweets, his tweets this week have been remarkable.
0: Yeah. Taylor, Taylor has had about the whole Ohio state beat Adam <laughs> at, at this point. Um, you know, Taylor, our former 11 words recruiting analyst, who's now a teacher. So he's allowed to be a fan. You know, he's, he's an Indiana grad. He, yeah. I think I thought he was very objective when he was here. I thought he was objective even when he was covering Indiana. He decided to leave the industry, and now he's decided he's just going to be a Hoosiers fan, and that's okay. Uh, more pa- more power to him. But it, it has been entertaining the back and forth.
1: So do we want to talk about Michigan State at all, even though yeah, it feels th- like that game happened
0: four weeks ago? Well, I think we should because I mean, I, I mean, first of all, it's it's the only football game we're going to get to. Talk about, again, we're not going to have a game to to break down next week, so we can talk all the Northwestern we want next week because we're not going to have a Michigan game to break down. But, you know, I mean, there were a lot of positives to take away from that, you know, game, the 52-12 to win. You know, I mean, to me, you know, I just did not know what to expect going into that game. You know, I really didn't know what to expect when we found out less than two hours before the game that Ohio State was going to be without free-starting offensive linemen. I mean, not only – starting offensive linemen and three really good ones in Fayer Munford, Josh Myers, Nicholas Petit Frere They were also a their top backup tackle in Paris Johnson jr. So they had an offensive line of DeWan Jones, Matthew Jones, Max Ray at right tackle. Max Ray had literally played one offensive snap in his Ohio state career. It was the final play of a game. It was the only offensive snap he had played in his career before Saturday. They moved Harry Miller from left guard to center. And the only starter who was a regular starter in his regular position was Wyatt Davis. And when you consider all of that, I think the offensive line played as well as anyone could have hoped against Michigan state. Yeah. The offensive line, you know, it's,
1: I do think it's one of those interesting games where you can't really take a ton of there wasn't a ton that I felt like I learned that was new, but I, I agree with you in that the offensive line was the number one area where it's like, if things are going to go haywire, if things are going to go really, really poorly, it's because this offensive line just falls apart. Um, I think Max Ray, like I, he probably shouldn't have actually technically been the player of the game, but he was the player I was most impressed with because like when, when Ohio State's down three tackles, I mean, in in your head, you think, all right, clearly Dewan Jones is one of those guys because he's one of their, he's either top backup or their second backup behind Paris Johnson. Um, and then if you, if you look inside, you know, I mean, they have some guys, they have Matthew Jones, they have obviously Wyatt Davis was out there. They moved Harry Miller over like that's, that's still a solid interior line. I'll be honest when Max, when I saw Max Ray with that first team in warmups, I was like, wow, I cannot believe that they're not going to somebody else because you know, it's one of those things where you can you can gain a lot of information about how someone's doing in practice by how often players and coaches bring them up without without prompt and Max Ray was almost never brought up without prompt um and and I think that from our perspective sometimes that means you're just not really impressing behind the scenes and I think that you know for a lot of people who asked about you know where. Tyreek Johnson is in his development. Like he was just someone who just didn't come up that much. And like, that's not a great sign usually. So to me, that was sort of what I was thinking when when I saw Max Ray out there. I was just like, we haven't really heard a lot about him. I'm not really sure it's great that he's out there, but he was one of those guys where it's like, you just sort of forgot about him. He just did his job. I don't think he was dominant, but I think he was proficient. I think he was exactly what they needed. He didn't get Justin Fields killed, which is like the number one thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was all you could reasonably expect from Max Ray. Cause I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I didn't think we were ever going to see Max Ray start a game at Ohio state at this point, you know, not necessarily when he came in, but going into his third year, I mean, he was not in the two deep. We, we hadn't heard about him. I mean, I, I, I was kind of at the point but I didn't think we were ever going to see Max Ray start a game at Ohio state. So for Max Ray to step in, in that position and hold his own and prove he could do it, I mean, huge, huge props to him. You know, huge props to him. I mean, he's not Nicholas petit Frere. Nicholas petit Frere is better. You're going to want Nicholas petit Frere back for these postseason games. But for him to step in and do the job the way he did, huge credit to him. What else were sort of your main takeaways from the game? Who else stood
1: out to you? Did you feel like you learned anything other than just seeing how some backups
0: played? I don't know what I really – I don't know that I really learned anything about like, you know, I, I didn't learn if like the defense is better in my opinion, because I, you know, Michigan state just doesn't have a good offense. You know, I already knew the offense was really good, but you know, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, I think the biggest thing that I feel like I learned about this team is, you know, I learned they're resilient. I learned that they you know, could bounce back, And they could really you know put it all together because because i mean this was a team i mean their first four games like in all of those games they had their moments of consternation that you know kind of had ohio state fans uh not thrilled with how those games went and so you know i thought you know i i really did i thought going into this game i mean you didn't have ryan day you didn't have uh several starters i really thought going into this game like there was a potential like this thing was going to get dicey. Like I just didn't know what to expect. So for Ohio state to finally come out and dominate a game the way it was supposed to under those circumstances, to me, I think that made a statement about the Buckeyes and it gave me more confidence that this is a team that can hit its peak here when it needs to in December and, and have a chance in these really big games coming up. So I think that's the the biggest thing. I'm honestly I'm glad
1: that you felt that way because I didn't feel that way. Why not? You know, I felt like I felt like it was a fine game. <clears throat> I felt like for the first time, this was the this was the game that we expected. I feel like for a lot of games this year, we've said, "All right," I feel like this is going to happen, and then it you know we it, we it sort of gets there. We don't fully get there. I felt like this was the this was what we expected. Like this is what Ohio State should look like. So I think that that was the positive to me. Um I it was it was something, yeah, I think that I had been waiting for. But at the same time, it's like they should definitely dominate this team that, you know, is just not it's it's just not built to beat Ohio State the way that it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I still think there's value in showing you can do it though. You know what I mean? Because I, I I don't, you know, I mean I I don't feel like they had necessarily done that in any of their first four games this year, but shown that they really could dominate a team the way they're supposed to.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, my my one main takeaway and I wrote about this after the game and, and honestly I meant to bring this up earlier when we were having the college football playoff discussion because I think it matters. It's like Justin Fields is unbelievable like Justin Fields, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can have Ryan Day you can have Corey Dennis gone. You can only be thrown to two wide receivers. You can not even target a tight end all day. You can have your starting center missing. You can have both offensive tackles missing and you can look like a Heisman trophy contender. I mean, that's, that to me is what he was. And, and it's like, as long as he's healthy, as long as he's there, they can beat anybody. And I, like, I would challenge the committee to leave this team out if they haven't lost a game and Justin Fields is healthy I just think that they're one of the best teams in the country because they can literally do anything they can win a national championship with Justin Fields of course like they they they, they should be able th- to me this is what they should be doing every single week and that's why to me that was my number one takeaway is like this is like Justin Fields to me like it, it it's on on one hand it's like you know did anything that he do surprise you it's like no because nothing justin fields does surprises you but every single time you get to watch him to me it's especially on saturday it was a reminder of like this guy this guy was picking up snaps off the ground and like running for 15 yards like he was on that first touchdown it was like he drops back the guy's not open that he wants to go to he tries to scramble forward that's closed he scrambles to, to the right side, and then all of a sudden, it's just like a race to the end zone, race to the sideline. Of course, he's going to win that. It's like, how many guys can make that play in college football? Like, probably one. Like, that's, that's what Ohio State has. It's, to me, it's like, you either have the best or the second best player in college football, and it was just a reminder to me that no matter how many things are going wrong,
0: as long as Justin Fields is there, you're okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, given the circumstances, I think it was one of the most impressive games of his Ohio State career, and that's coming off yeah. what I think was the worst game. Of his Ohio State career, two weeks earlier against Indiana. So I think just considering the circumstances, you know, for him to play as well as he did, I mean, he he did rush for a career high in yards. You know, his passing numbers weren't gaudy, but they were good enough. And and so he didn't,
1: yeah, he didn't make any mistakes through the air too. It's not like it's not like he he only threw for what 199 or something yeah. yards, and it's like he left plays on the table. I didn't really feel that way.
0: No, no, I think I think it was really a game, but they really lean heavily on their running game. And I think part of that was because, you know, you do have an inexperienced offensive line, you know, the less times that you're getting pass rushed on Justin Fields, uh, the better. And it's also because, you know, those offensive linemen did a damn good job run blocking. And I think my other big takeaway from the game was that Trey Sermon finally looked like the player, that we thought he was going to be, you know, I think, you know, the first, you know, few games, I don't think either of us was very impressed with what we saw from Trey sermon. I fought against Indiana. I thought he made strides. I thought that was his best game yet. And then I thought on Saturday, he, we finally saw the kind of player I thought we were going to see from Trey sermon. You know, I thought, you know, I mean, he had the 64 yard touchdown. I actually think his most impressive run of a game was the 25 yard run he had earlier in the game. Cause he, he broke a couple tackles, had a stiff arm uh, on, on the way to that run. You know, I, I thought we saw, you know, I thought in the first few games, we just, you know, we just didn't really see much flash from him. I thought in this game, we, we we saw some flash. We saw some ability to break tackles to make bigger plays. And, you know, it contradicts what I had said, because I I think it was either a week or two ago. I think we were asked about whether we thought master Teague had separated himself. And I thought he had, and then Trey Sermon ended up leading them in rushing and actually ended up playing more snaps than master Teague on Saturday. So I uh, have a question about whether Ohio State would go with the hot hand. It showed on Saturday that it would when Trey Sermon was the hot hand.
1: Yeah, I, you know he's still interesting. Like, the, I, you know the the twenty five yarder. It was one of those things where I, I I I was alone in the press box because you know you have to socially distance yourself. So it's not like I could look over and be like, oh my god. But I think I was I like looked around like what like that is Trey Sermon. I hadn't seen anything even remotely close to that throughout the first what four games of the season, like not even anything in the ballpark of that. Uh, And you know, if he could do that consistently. Yeah. Awesome. I'm just not convinced that this is going to be anything that he does with any deal of consistency. I mean, the 64 yarder. it's not like he was breaking five tackles on that run. That was a simple, that was, that was fairly simple. And if you look at like, what he did you know he had 10 total carries and four of them went for two yards or less like it like to me like he had the one great run which like I don't want to undersell at all like that was JK Dobbins like that was that was the that was the high end of, of what an Ohio State running back does to me just consistently I, I, I I'm just not going to buy in on him because of one run I, I and you know, I know Master Teague, if you just look at his stats, 14 carries for 46 yards, it's not great. When you when I watched the game, I wasn't thinking that Master Teague was having a bad game. And, and rewatching, no, it, I didn't think that either. Yeah, and I know that you don't, but, like, I think that Master Teague, you know, he even had one called back that, that I thought he had a really nice run on um, – I think, I think a lot of that was because there just wasn't a lot there. There wasn't a lot there for him to work with because on a lot of times they were selling out to, to stop him. Um, I'm just, to be honest, like congratulations to Trey Sermon. I'm just personally not caught up in the, in, in the post-game Trey Sermon hype um, because I just, I'm just not buying that it's going to be consistent a consistent thing because even within the game, it wasn't. Colin is not easily impressed. I guess I'm not. I'm, I'm very impressed by Justin Fields, but I guess uh, you don't have to be easily impressed to be
0: impressed by Justin Fields. So how about this? I'll pose it to you then. Was there anyone else who really did impress you on Saturday? (laughs) It's a fair question. Uh,
1: You know, it's, it's weird because like, I, I, I think, I think it's interesting to have a conversation at least about the secondary because on one hand, I feel like I didn't learn anything. On the other hand, like, you didn't see consistent mistakes by certain guys. And like the, the bar I've set is so incredibly low, but like Marcus Hooker had a pass breakup. He had a, you know, he had an important tackle on third down when it seemed like someone was, I don't, I don't remember the down, but it was, I know it was third and long, third and more than 10. And he got the stop right. You know, made it four and one. That was the, that was the kind of play that he needs to have, you know, Sean Wade had an incredible interception. Um, I thought Ronnie Hickman was, was interesting. Um, so I think, I, I think that that's, that's an, that's a little bit of an interesting, um, part of the team. I mean, the other guy, obviously, like I just go to it, like Haskell Garrett, like he had an interception
0: for a touchdown, like president defensive tackle, like he's the clear other answer. I mean, Haskell Garrett's a stud. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, quite honestly, like even before the shooting, and all that happened, like I, I just didn't know what to expect for Haskell Garrett going into this year. Like I didn't think that he had been, I didn't think that he had showed a lot in his first three seasons at Ohio State. And this year, I mean, I think Pro Football Focus just had him as the highest graded defensive lineman in college football. I mean, I think he's been a legit stud this year. I mean, I mean, him both, Tom, him, him, and Tommy Tokiay have been studs, you know. And I was, I, I was thinking about it. You know, our Kyle Jones wrote me every day about how the defensive tackles have been one of the strengths of a team. And I was thinking about how before the season, you know, I think we were both in this boat. I think even Ryan Day was in this boat based on things he had said. And I thought there was a very real chance defensive tackle would be one of Ohio State's biggest weaknesses. And instead, it's become one of its biggest strengths. And, and Haskell Garrett is a huge reason for that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because one of the reasons why we I, – I know we both thought this because we talked about it is one of the reasons why we thought it would be a weakness is because of depth. It turns out they're not actually using much depth. It's the Tommy Toga and Haskell Garrett show with, you know, some Antoine Jackson thrown in there or some Jerron Cage thrown in there. But it's those two guys because those two guys have been awesome. I mean, Dan, I don't – do you – I think there are a number of guys you can make the case for. I I mean, I tweeted, I think think that their best five players this year have been Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Tommy Togiai, and Haskell Garrett. Like, uh, do you, would you make the case? I mean, there are, I think, four other guys that I feel like I could make the case for. Are, are,
0: Are you in agreement there, or would you have somebody else in there? Yeah, those guys are definitely all up there. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, he didn't play last week, but like, I'd put Nicholas Petit up there. Like I think he's been phenomenal when he's been on the field. Uh, so I I'd put him right up there. You know, I'd put Pete Werner right up there. I think he's been excellent. Those are probably the two that come to mind for me. Yeah, it, there's it, the other I guy
1: think. who I, the other guy who I had said is, you know, you could make a case for Thayer Munford too. that said something about how Justin Fields and the offense played without two of guys who you could make the case, who I think are two of the rest eight players out at the very, at the very least.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think those are probably the guys that come to mind the most for me, but yeah, I mean, those two defensive tackles, I mean, to me, they, they've probably been, you know, the breakout stars of this season for us day. Cause I think, you know, we, we knew just fields was going to be good. We knew Chris Olave was going to be good. I think we were, you know, very confident Garrett Wilson was going to be a star, but I think those two, you know, we, we were, we were definitely confident in Tommy Togiai, but he has even surpassed my expectations. And Haskell Garrett has unquestionably surpassed my expectations.
1: Yep. I mean, there's, you really can't say enough about them. Um, I mean, I think that the defensive ends have been a little interesting this year. Um, it's, they've been a little hard to evaluate, to be quite honest. Defensive tackles
0: aren't harder to evaluate. They've been awesome. They've been awesome consistently. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing I want to mention before we move on is, you know, you mentioned Ronnie Hickman, that, that was the other guy I was going to bring up as a guy who did impress me, but, you know, Again, I don't know that I know how confident I am in him playing against Clemson right now because he was just playing Michigan State. But that was a guy who flashed to me, a guy who had to play more because Josh Proctor was unavailable. And and I thought we saw something in him there where I'm intrigued to see, okay, are we going to see him get more playing time the rest of the year? Because I thought you know he was a guy who was kind of flying around out there. He made a couple of really nice tackles. On third down. I still don't really know what he is in coverage, which is the big question mark if you're in the secondary. But that was a guy that just caught my eye. Is like, okay, this is a guy. It was good to finally see him get some real reps. And I'm interested to see if we're going to see him play a little bit more down the stretch. Well, it's, it's funny you say like, um, is he going to get more
1: playing time in the future? Like the future is the big 10 championship is. in the playoff. Like oh, yeah. I, it's, it's not, you know, it, this is, this is the kind of player who's hurt by them having a shortened season like this, because if they're only six games into a normal season, like they have plenty of time to to work him in and see what he is. They have to figure out what he is in practice and the limited
0: game reps and and be like, well, should we throw him in there against Bama or not? One thing I keep thinking about, but I think we are going to bring up about a hundred times between next January and August is that It is now extremely likely that neither C.J. Stroud nor Jack Miller is going to throw a pass this year.
1: Yep, yep. No, I would, uh, unless something horrible happens to Justin Fields, I would assume that that's the case.
0: But C.J. Stroud did look good with his legs, ran for a 48-yard touchdown. So uh, we saw some of that running ability from C.J. Stroud, but we haven't seen him throw a pass yet. You know, I was, I don't know if I was
1: more, if my takeaway is more so that he had that run or that he came into the game because him coming into the game, that means he's the backup quarterback.
0: Yeah. Him coming in specifically when fields had to go out for a play, him being the guy they called upon to come in. That was telling. I think, I mean, the reality is we don't have much to go off. So uh, if that's all we're going off right now, then yeah, it, it would appear to me that CJ Stroud is the next man up.
1: We have one question from the game from St. Louis Buckeye 15 who asks our secondary appeared to take a step forward against Sparty on Saturday. How much do you believe can be attributed to the competition and how much of it is legitimate improvement to which I say the vast majority is the competition.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of discussed it. I think it's just, I think it's hard to say like, I mean, I, I, I think a little bit of it probably was and you would hope, I mean, again, You know, they had two weeks before that game. They're going to have two weeks before the next game. So you would hope that this is legitimate improvement. The tough thing is they're just not, you know, they've really played only one team this year that could really test them through the air and that team carved them up. And they're not going to play another team like that until potentially the college football playoff. So that's just the hard thing. You know, the hard thing is they've got to improve in practice and, you know, we might find out on January 1st if they've actually gotten better.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think the one thing too, that like, it's just one of those things that's like, is it BS or is it real? But like, sometimes it's hard to tell with players, but I do think sometimes it's good for a malign secondary to get some confidence. Like, I, I I don't think that that should be completely overlooked. I don't know how much it actually matters, but I can imagine Marcus Hooker probably wasn't feeling great about himself for a while. And he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't make any real, legitimate, costly mistakes on Saturday. Like to me, that has to matter some.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I've over, I I feel like I've already used up two of my free things we think here because I I already talked about, one of mine was going to be about the defensive tackles and I just brought that up and one of mine was going to be about what we talked about last week and me changing my mind on that. So uh, I don't know that I necessarily have free. Do you have free? I got three. I can start. You go
1: ahead um, and start. All right. My number one is, uh, so Machine's really going to extend them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's really going to happen, huh? Jim Harva actually going to be extended. It appears so. It appears. I mean, yeah. I mean, we don't have official word yet, but it feels like things are moving in that direction. It feels like to me right now, like I would be surprised if that doesn't happen. And who knows what that means for coordinators. I couldn't imagine them bringing him back and, Still keeping around Don Brown, I think there would have to be some massive changes behind the scenes there. But, I mean, man, gosh, imagine being a Michigan fan right now and being so mad about the state of the program and then knowing that your head coach, who is and 2-4 this season, might get an extension.
0: Yeah, I mean, two things that are really telling there. One, I think, is the survey you did a few weeks ago of Ohio State fans. Yes asking them about 30 potential Michigan coaches for 2021 and how nervous they would make them. And Jim Harbaugh came in dead last for who they would be uh, least nervous about uh, going up against Ohio state next year. So uh, I think that's pretty telling that uh, Ohio state fans are very happy uh, if he gets an extension. And I think the other thing that was pretty telling was, seeing the amount of Michigan fans who wanted the game to be canceled because they thought that Michigan was going to get blown out. I think when your fan base is feeling like that, that is a massive indictment on the state of your program and your head coach. If if there's a lot of fans who are glad the biggest game of the year wasn't played because they thought it was going to go poorly for them. So I think those are two massive indictments on Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, this decision to keep him, you know, it seems to me like, you know, they want to lower the buyout, you know, maybe this sets him up to, you know, maybe it's kind of, you know, a prove it year for him next year, but, and he's been there for six years. I mean, he's had a lot of time to prove it. He hasn't proven it. And to me, he just kind of feels like a dead man walking. I mean, it kind of feels the same way to me at Texas with Tom Herman, where it looks like they might keep him for another year. it it kind of feels like, you know, a couple dead men walking here, but most likely a year from now, we're going to be back in this situation unless there's drastic improvement there.
1: The Harbaugh thing is interesting because, you know, on one hand I do see where they have some sort of optimism. I mean, they have JJ McCarthy committed. He's a five-star quarterback. Like you look at that and you're like, Oh, maybe they can turn around a little bit. The thing is, it's just like who, who there really thinks keeping Jim Harbaugh is going to get them, to the next step. Like I think maybe and get them back to where they were in like 2016. I don't really know how you're going to get them to close to Ohio State's level.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. What's your, what's your first thing that you've been thinking about this week? Dan? All right. I'll, well, I was maybe, say that... maybe first and only. <laughs> we'll start with this. I'll just say that, you know, to me this season has made the argument for an eight team college football playoff clearer than ever before, because, you know, no matter what happens in two weeks, I mean, there's going to be more people who are unhappy with it than ever, because you just don't have a good way of actually, you know, comparing these teams across different conferences. And, you know, and then you know, and you see, you know, I mean, you see, you know, these teams like, you know, you see a coastal Carolina, who's 10 and O and, you know, they're, you know, they're going to get left out over, you know, teams that lost games or, you know, a team that's six and zero. You know, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be because I don't. I don't think that they're a better team than the teams that are ahead of them. But you know, I I, I, to me, I think this year is just all the more reason to to make this thing an 18 playoff and make this a thing where there are actually automatic bids here, where the five conference champions get an auto bid. I think there should be a a bid that has to go to a group of five team, whatever formula you're going to use to determine who that best team is. I think there should be a group of five team in there and then two at large teams. And I think that should be the future of a college football playoff. I mean, sure. You, 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 you might have some blowouts in there, but to me, I think it, I think it'd make things more interesting. I, you know, I, you know, we, we talk every week about how Ohio state fans are only focused on a college ball playoff. I, I think, you know, the arguments about, you know, the sanctity of a regular season. I think that's already gone. I think people are so focused on the college ball playoff at this point, but I think honestly what it's doing is it's limiting the focus so much to such a small group of teams. And and there's a lot of teams that almost feel irrelevant in the national conversation because they just don't have a chance of making the playoffs. So I think if you expand the playoff, you make it bigger. I think more teams are going to be engaged in that more fan bases are going to be engaged in that, you know, and then, you know, it, it, you know, we might not be in a position like, uh, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press pointed out, uh, on Tuesday night, that half the beat writers on the college ball playoff teleconference are Ohio state writers. The reason for that is because Ohio state is just always the team that seems to be in the swing position of the college ball playoff. And, you know, most teams beat writers don't really have any reason to be on there because, the college football playoff rankings aren't relevant to them. But to me, if you expand this thing and you get more teams involved, it's just going to be better for college football as a whole. And I think this year, especially with just how weird it's been, has been the the prime example of why we should ultimately have an eight-team playoff. Yeah, I mean,
1: on one hand, I think you're correct. On the other hand, I remember having a conversation last year about how last year it was um, the prime example of why there should be a four-team playoff. (laughs) it's funny how it changes by year. I mean, last year it was like, there were three undefeated teams, LSU, Ohio state, and Clemson. Then Oklahoma was the only other one lost team and the power five. And obviously they were the big 12 champion. It's like, okay, those are clearly the other, the four. And then it's a bunch of two lost teams. I mean, if they were actually doing top eight without the auto G five bid, you would have three lost Wisconsin in the college football playoff. Like last year to me, it was like the complete opposite. So I do think this year is, I, I think that this year is, what you're saying is probably the argument to have it, but it's funny how quickly people can forget that. Cause I don't think you're the only one who's had that thought. And I do remember last year it was like, that; it was so clean and
0: easy. Um, and it, it clearly is uh, not going to be that this year. That's fair. That's fair. And to me, you I mean, to me, what they really should have done was they should just done it this year, just experiment with it this year. This would have been the perfect year to just expand it temporarily experiment See, make if some people, extra money. see if people see if people exactly make some extra money see if people like it you know what my guess would have been if you did an 18 playoff all the games would have got great ratings people would have liked it and it would have been here to stay and this would have been the perfect year to to experiment with it alas this is a debate that will rage on into 2021 Yeah, I mean, people would have liked it and
1: then they would have kept it or they would have had to keep it or it would have been feeling weird to go back to four. So I think that might have played into it too. My second thing I've been thinking about, the longer Texas, Michigan, and USC keep their coaches, the better it is for Ohio State because it just feels like all those three, it's like Jim Harbaugh, like what's Jim Harbaugh doing that's preventing Ohio State from anything? Like he clearly, if you had a coach there that could recruit better, and, and maybe could make Ohio state at least somewhat of a challenge, like Ohio state would have to, to, to take that seriously. They, they, they really don't have to take Jim Harbaugh and Michigan seriously in the Midwest right now. Um, if you look at Texas, it's like, I mean, Ohio state literally has Quinn Ewers committed and Quinn Ewers dream school is Texas. I mean, they have a five-star wide receiver committed from Texas. The, the, the day Tom Herman gets replaced by a guy who can recruit Texas, Ohio state's going to have to adjust and the same thing without in California. I mean, the, the longer Clay Hilton's there, the, the more opportunities Ohio state have to to go out West. And and obviously it's not the easiest thing in the world, but even Ohio state can, can pull top talent from California. It's, it's shown the, the ability to do that. So I just think like from an Ohio state perspective, keeping these coaches around um, certainly beneficial.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you at least the first two, I mean, USC is playing well this year. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't think Clay Hilton's going to get fired this year. So you know I, I i i agree with you in a sense i don't think clay helton is going to make usc a national championship contender but usc is playing well this year so uh, I, I mean i'm see. only talking
1: about it from uh, from a recruiting perspective and if you just look at their class they have one top 10 player in california one top 10 californian committed in 21 which is class. not good
0: I mean, that's for USC, like if you're USC, if you have it rolling, you should have at least half, if not more. Yeah. And the good news, like I said, I mean, the good news then for Ohio State is I don't think Clay Elton's going anywhere, at least not this year. And, you know, we already talked about Michigan. Uh, Certainly at Texas, I think if a coach that Quinn Ewers decommitted from is still there for next year's recruiting cycle, uh, that's certainly a good thing uh for Ohio State. Um I don't really think other than Urban Meyer, but there were many coaches who were going to come in there and were going to change Quinny Ewer's mind, but you never know. So I think keeping Tom Herman there for another year is is definitely a welcome sight. You have a second thing you've been thinking about or no? Um, or yeah, I mean yeah. you you already said the opposite earlier. So you know there's probably not a lot of discussion here. But you know, I, I get I would I would say that I do think the big 10 made a mistake by not playing the rivalry games earlier. I think you're right, but I think it would have been tough to reschedule them anyway, but you know, I think the big 10 was overly optimistic about getting through this season without significant disruptions. You know, I don't know if it would have been possible to reschedule any of those games, but I think, you know, it, it, hindsight is 2020. 20. It, it it was hard to know, but I think, you know, the reality is, you know, things got worse over the course of a season and in terms of a pandemic. And I think the later you are in the season, you more likely you are that you know, issues have built up over time. So I think, you know, if they would have done the, if, you know, they could have done a rivalry week earlier in the year, like they could have built it up and they could have put all these season ending rivalry games that are being that were are being played or were supposed to be played this week. You could have put them the third or fourth week of a season and kind of built that up. And I think that probably would have been the smarter move from the Big Ten instead of now getting to this point where you know Ohio State, Michigan gets canceled, Indiana, Purdue gets canceled, and there's just nothing you can do about it.
1: Talking about that, I was talking about my perspective from earlier in the year, but I, you know, I still, you know, it would have. I, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't think that um, I thought that at the time, and you know, if you can do it over again, then yeah, you you should be willing to put Ohio State at, at the first game. Um, but I in the in the moment, I didn't think that, so it's not like I can retroactively sit there and, and say that.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, I think yeah, I think some of it too is just kind of like realizing in hindsight, you know, like. Yeah, if they had put it early in the season, Ohio State fans would have been mad at the time. But like, maybe in hindsight, we should look back and realize, okay, okay, like, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been worried about uh, Ohio State and Michigan being played on a traditional date. You know, maybe we should have just been worried about playing it. Um, and I don't. I hope that this is a one-time thing and we're not in a situation again like this anytime soon. But uh, lesson learned. If there's ever anything like this that we have to deal with again in the future. Third thing I've been thinking
1: about um we are way too long into this podcast already and we haven't even talked about the fact that on Friday Ohio State might get the best wide receiver in the country committed in the 2021 class and what in the world does that tell you about Ohio State's wide receiver recruiting right now
0: yeah that's that's a that's a good thing to bring up uh for sure uh Mecca Buka, top 10 overall recruit in the class of 2021 sounds like he it's looking pretty good for Ohio state there. Um, And if they can add him to, you know, Jaden Ballard and Marvin Harrison, two top 100 recruits after already bringing in four top 100 recruits last year, and then have a five-star and Caleb Burton coming in next year. Yeah. Brian Hartline's killing it.
1: Yeah. There's not much to this take. It's more so the fact that like, I can't like, it's just a statement of wide uh, about the state of wide receiver recruiting that we don't even have to talk about it because you just assume
0: that good things are happening there. Yeah, Ohio State's going to have a lot of talent in the wide receiver room. Well, I'll, I'll just say this Ben, because I figured you'd you'd bring it up at some point, but we haven't brought it. We haven't talked about Ohio State basketball at all. So, you know, I thought you know I didn't watch much of a game if I'm being honest here because. Tuesday was a pretty busy day, but I did see the end of a Notre Dame game. And, you know, I thought Ohio State looked pretty good. I mean, I thought EJ Liddell uh, looked really good in the second half, uh, putting up 19 points and, and 12 rebounds. And, you know, I mean, you know, we it, it's early. I mean, the first three games weren't against good competition, so you don't want to put too much stock into one game. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, going on the road for the first time this year, uh, playing a quality opponent for the first time this year, I thought that was an encouraging uh, encouraging performance for the basketball Buckeyes, you know, especially when you consider uh, they might be getting Seth Towns back soon and they, they don't have him yet. You know, I, I, I think, uh, I think there's reason to feel good. Uh, now granted we've seen it before with Chris Holtman's Buckeyes, but sometimes they start out really hot and then they hit a lull in mid But so far, I think there's reason to like what we've seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want people to go overboard. I mean, the Notre Dame win was a good win. If you look at Ken Palm, they're the third lowest-rated Ken Pom team in the ACC. Um, they're 80th, I believe, overall. So it was a good win. I mean, it certainly wasn't a great win. I mean, their other their other wins were against you know low major competition, and all those three low major teams weren't very good. Um, so I do think I hope people aren't getting um, too ahead of themselves with with these Buckeyes, but. I think the pieces are there for a really good season. They're going to be – I mean, in the – first, I think their defense is, is a significant issue. Um, and I think that it will continue to be an issue for a while. Um, and I think that things that I see is the work in progress, I just think a lot of guys are going to have to make advancements throughout the year. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to be in an interesting spot to see how this thing develops because there are a lot of good pieces. But I think they're a
0: while away from, from actually fitting them together the way that Ohio State would hope. Yeah, I didn't really have much of a take there. I just figured because I didn't really have much else at this point, but I'd, I'd bring it up <laughs> because I, I thought it Fair. was, I thought it was a good win. Uh, the best team we've seen Ohio State play so far. So, uh, at least a positive early development for the basketball Buckeyes.
1: We have some more questions. Um, we'll run through those pretty quickly and get out of here. Uh, Niblick, I don't know. Yep, I did I did my best there. Asked what the hell is up with Zach Harrison and how much longer is everyone just going to pretend everything is okay with his development?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a strong, strongly worded question there about Zach Harrison. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I don't, I don't know. I, I guess Zach Harrison, not, you know, playing the way people think he should hasn't really stood out to me as some big negative so far. I mean, I get it because he's a five-star recruit who's supposed to be the next chase young, the next Joey Bosa. And, and we're not seeing that yet. So I, I get, I get where the question is coming from. Um, but I don't think he's been bad. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I you know, I don't think he's been bad and I think it's tough because it's just, it's such a weird year, you know, that, I mean, we're, we're, we're only five games into a season, you know, like I think, I think for some of these younger players, it's just going to be hard to really evaluate their progress this year because we're just not getting to see them in enough games. So, you know, if if the question is, did I expect to see a little bit more out of Zach Harrison than we have at this point? Yeah, I did. But I also don't view it as like, he's way behind where he should be or he's playing badly. You know, I don't think he's a star yet. And I think maybe the expectations were a bit too high for him going into this year. Understandably high, because he's a five star recruit. I mean, you look at what Garrett Wilson in his same class is doing. I totally get where the question is coming from. I, I just don't know that I'm I, I just don't know that I'm at the point yet of like, I'm worried Zach Harrison's not going to be the player he, he's supposed to be. I just think it's still too early to really judge that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because like I, I was the, I was one of the people coming in who was putting all the hype on Zach Harris. And honestly, one of the reasons why is because when you ask Larry Johnson about him, it's like should he be on that same track? Larry Johnson says yeah. Larry Johnson's saying yeah, then who am I to say no? Um, so I, I, I I'm right there with you. He you know, he's had a really interesting season because if you just look at his stats through five games, it's nine tackles, four tackles for loss. Uh, two sacks like that's not exactly um, a riveting set of numbers right there but I'm like you like I don't think he's played terrible like I, you know if you look at if you look at some of the quarterbacks they've played it's not like you know they haven't been dropping back there for five seconds and just letting Ohio State loose and, and, and letting Ohio State go after him I, I I don't think um, from that perspective teams are, are, are playing in a way where you look at, you know, a, a star pass rusher and wonder, you know, what can they do here? Um, so I think that to me, like, that's part of it. But also, like, I I do think I was – my expectations were a little too high for him. Like, I don't think – I don't think he's the next Chase Young. I think he's really, really athletic. I think he's really, really good. But I don't think he's going to take that steep upward trajectory in, in, in year two in, – in, and honestly, year three – like, um like we've seen other guys come through here. He, he's just, you know, like Tyreek Smith, when you, when you watch him come off the edge, like, like he is a bullet. Tyreek Smith's rushes a lot of times are very similar. And sometimes I wish that like he had a little bit more in the package because his rush oftentimes are get around the edge as quickly as possible. And if that doesn't work, then like, uh oh, because there's not really another great second move that he has. And that's a really good first move. Sometimes, as we saw on Saturday, um, I'm not really sure like what Zach Harrison does best as a pass rusher. I don't know about you, but like that's like the one thing. Like, what what is Zach Harrison awesome at other than being a great athlete?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Like, I don't think we've really seen. I think we've only seen him flash at this point. We haven't seen him get to the point where we saw Chase Young, like, I mean, it's a guy who just take over a game. Same thing with both, both the brothers. We haven't seen Zach Harrison get to that point. You know, I don't really worry too much about the stat line because I look at it and say he's played, they've played five games and really he's played two and a half games because he only plays half the snaps because of a way that they rotate those defensive ends. So it, that makes it hard to put up really big numbers. But I, I I agree with that. I don't, I don't think we've really seen him show that he's, you know, particularly dominant in any one area. And, you know, and maybe that, maybe that comes, maybe it doesn't, you know, but I I do think he's definitely still a work in progress.
1: Yeah. I mean, both the bosses were technicians and, and really good athletes like Chase Young was like the most explosive player I've ever seen. Zach Harrison's an amazing like sort of track athlete who I think has developed his body in that, like, you can't really call him a track athlete anymore, but he, he does those track things where it's like, I feel like in a 60 yard race, Zach Harrison would absolutely wow you. Um, Like, those are the kind of things that I think are, are, you know, he's, are, are, you know, the most impressive attributes of his and, and, you know, on the field, I'm just, I'm waiting to see like what he's best at as a pass rusher. Um, And I, I just don't know yet. I don't know. I think that's sort of a wait and see mode. I'm not in like, I'm not panicking. I just don't think he's probably not the next. Um, Heisman Trophy finalist at defensive end, <laughs> which is like an obscenely high bar that we should probably stop holding him to.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the reality when you come to Ohio State with the kind of success that those guys have had. That that's the bar you're going to be set to. But, you know, that's a really tough bar to live up to if you're expecting a guy to be Chase Young.
1: Yep, yep. Next question is from and Juice. Is there a clear number one running back will we see more Mayan Williams going forward or is that just garbage time reps?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to answer the first question, I think no, because I think, you know, I thought there was after the last game with Master Teague and then we saw Trey Sermon uh, end up playing just one more snap than, than Teague, but it went back to more of a 50-50 split. So I don't know what there is. I mean, I think, I think, you know, we'll see what they do against Northwestern, but I don't know what there is right now. I mean, the reality is neither of those guys is J.K. Dobbins. And I think, you know, they're, you know, you know, I I think Teague is still running back one. I think he'll be the starter against Northwestern. But I don't think the gap there is so big that, you know, he he he's a clear running back one. And then I think for the second question, you know, I I thought Mayan and Williams looked good in those reps later in the game. But I think this kind of goes back to what Colin said before, that going forward at this point is the Big Ten championship game in the playoffs. So I, I just don't really think that there's time at this point to really work him in more. I mean, I thought – you know, I thought that was encouraging what we saw from him. I I think it's interesting that he seemed to have moved ahead of steel chambers on the depth chart, because I think that suggests that, you know, maybe he's more likely going forward than steel chambers. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to jump to huge conclusion here, but the fact that he's a freshman, he's moving up, maybe, you know, that's an indication that, you know, he's a guy who might push a little more in the future for the rest of this year, though, I think as long as Teague and Sermon stay healthy, I think those are going to be the guys who, who handle the carries uh, from this point forward.
1: Yeah. Like you, there's no clear number one running back. Like I think the number one running back is master Teague, but to say clear number one running back, I think the implication is that you're getting like 75% of the carries. And I don't think that, that happens. And yeah, I mean, mine Williams to me is like, do you remember steel chambers? Like we were one weekend of the season and more than 50% of 11 warriors readers wanted steel chambers to be the starter. So, um, Similarly to that, um, he is – My Williams is not going to be uh, right there with him.
0: Hate Blue, this, this was asked, obviously, before the game uh, was canceled. He asked about any word on which players will return this week and has Ryan Day officially been cleared. Uh, just to, so just to answer first of all, first question is, yes, Ryan Day has officially been cleared. Uh, you know, we actually saw in some photos – just before we started recording this podcast, that Ohio State tweeted out from practice on Wednesday that Corey Dennis was back and that Tuff Borland and Josh Proctor were back. So we know that those guys are back at practice. Now, the thing about the COVID protocols, but I don't know think everybody knows is that even though it's 21 days to return to play, it's not 21 days to return to practice. There's a 7-day acclimation period in there where you can return after 14 days to practice and then you can play after 21. So just because, you know, I, again, I don't know for sure whether those guys had COVID or not. You can speculate that the fact that they didn't have injuries and they were unavailable, that that would be why. But, you know, if, if that's the case, just because guys were able to return to practice this week doesn't mean that they necessarily would have been able to play this week. The good news for Ohio State is that we know most of the positive tests that occurred were before the Illinois road trip that was canceled. And by the time Ohio state next plays a game now against Northwestern, 21 days will have passed. So Ohio state should theoretically have the vast majority of these guys back. And, you know, that, that, that timeline's important too, because we're, we're talking 21 days, obviously, You know, if you had guys who tested positive the Friday before the Illinois game, you know, if if they couldn't practice for 21 days, they might not be able to play because they'd be three weeks out of practice. But, you know, if if, let's say somebody did, if he can return to practice Friday, he's going to be able to have a full week of practice for Northwestern. So they should have the majority of those guys back. And as long as they can avoid more positive cases, Ohio State should theoretically be back. It's a pretty much full strength for that Big Ten championship game.
1: Next question from Hovenot. In the event this is the last visit to the shoe, this is obviously
0: asked before the cancellation. Any parting words for one James Joseph Harbaugh? Well, it doesn't sound like we have to give him parting words because he's probably going to be back. <laughs> so, you know, I think we uh, kind of hit on that already. Uh, I think that again. Ohio state fans will be happy to welcome him back next year uh, if that ultimately turns out to be the case. And if uh, this thing changes around and he leaves, I'm sure that we will have some thoughts to share on that on future podcasts.
1: I mean, my parting words would be thanks for the memories because (laughs) you know, for all of, you know, all the crap that he gets and for all of the, the correct crap that he gets about not being able to turn around Michigan and, and make Michigan, you know, put Ohio, put Michigan on Ohio state's level. You can't deny that there have been some really fun memories over the last
0: half decade. I mean, he is, he has brought some real entertainment to the rivalry. He's a different kind of cat. I mean, he's a, he's a different guy. He's a, he's, he's not your average head coach. And I think he's been, he's been entertaining. So uh, I will be entertained if he's around for at least another year.
1: Next question from, Tajiki. I just gonna guess. Um, who wins in a fight? Jim Harbaugh or the San Diego chicken? I have, no I have no idea. Did you like am I am I like bad for not knowing what the San Diego chicken I, was? I don't know either. I was hoping you did. That was Goog- why I said I have Googled no idea. It. No, I had to Google it. <laughs> yeah. Is Apparently it's a chicken that's famous in San Diego. I know San Diego
0: chicken might, you know, that's a little bit confusing. Yeah. That, that is now that is. I Google it, like that's who I thought it was, but I didn't know. Like that was the image I had in my head. That, that was what it was, but I, I didn't actually know. Um, I've I mean, never, yeah, a man dressed up in a chicken costume. That was definitely what I was thinking. I was hoping yeah. it wouldn't, we wouldn't be.
1: I mean, the tough thing you is know, you don't know to. who
0: the man is inside that suit. Cause like, I mean, I know Jim Harbaugh used to play football. So like, I imagine he's tough, but like I have no idea who's in that suit. Like sometimes you see these mascot fights, and sometimes these mascots are are total badasses.
1: I Dan, I'll be honest. I, I don't remember many mascot fights that made me think that, but now I want to go back and find them because that sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> hey.
1: <laughs> but I here to answer the question, I'll pick pre- pre-2018 Jim Harbaugh wins post-2018 Jim Harbaugh loses because I just feel like pre-2018 Jim Harbaugh is a crazy person and post-2018 Jim Harbaugh is too normal like he's he's just not out there he's not doing crazy things anymore and like if I'm gonna pick Jim Harbaugh in a fight against a mascot like I need a crazy person
0: and he's no longer
1: crazy enough
0: Colin's stance is Jim Harbaugh has gotten soft
1: I guess so unintentionally I guess that is my stance
0: Daniel, final question was, do you put ketchup directly on your French fries or on the side? You better uh, have the correct answer here. Yeah, I, I, I put it on the side. I dip. How Thank about you? God. I mean, if you put it directly on the French fries, I don't ever want to talk to you. Yeah, that's like, that's messy to me.
1: Like, it's disgusting. I mean, if you're going to eat the French fries with ketchup, like, yeah, I mean, good, but don't put your hand in the ketchup. Like, why would you do that? Right. Yeah. No, I, I've seen people do that, but it's definitely, And not- you can control the consistency of how much ketchup that you want on a French fry. If you're dipping it, you can't yeah. do that because you're going to inevitably have like a French fry. That's just a hundred percent ketchup. And then you're gonna have other French fries, which are zero. If anybody's out there who's just putting the ketchup directly on a French fry, just like turn this podcast off.
0: I feel like this question did not have its desired effects. I feel like usually food is the one thing we argue on. Like we agree on a lot of the football stuff, but I feel like food a lot of times we'll
1: i fight anybody who puts ketchup on their French fries directly.
0: Well, let us know. Let us know. Cause Colin, Colin wants to fight you. Yeah. do A celebrity boxing match of Jim Harbaugh versus the San Diego chicken and Colin versus the person who puts ketchup directly on their French fries. Strongly enough about this, I'd fight pre-2018 Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh seems like the kind of guy who would put ketchup directly on his French fries. I mean, I know he drinks no doubt milk that. with his steak, so. Yeah, he, probably, he probably
1: dips them in, in milk and then the ketchup.
0: <laughs> that sounds disgusting.
1: Yes, it does. On that note.
0: <laughs> yeah, on that note, we've gone long enough. It's, it's it's already late here on a Wednesday. Here's a recording, and we got to get this thing out on Wednesday since it is real pod Wednesday. So uh, thanks again for listening in. Uh, We're sad that we're not going to have a game to watch this weekend, but we are glad that we will have a big 10 championship game to preview next week. So uh, be sure to tune back in Ben, And we'll talk to you again next week.